Hey, before we dive into chapters 9 and 10 of Master and Apprentice, I just had a few announcements. Firstly, I want to wish a very happy Hanukkah to all who celebrate it. I know 2020 has been a very rough year for many, but I hope you can find some joy in these celebrations. Happy Hanukkah. To all who listen through the credit roll and who follow Adoram Reads on social media, you might have noticed that the team here is expanding. Let's all welcome my good friend and guest of the show, Connor Floyd, to the team as an editor. He edited our most recent episode, and you can be sure that you'll be hearing his name many more times on the show moving forward. I'm excited to work with him more. Welcome, Connor. I had made an announcement on social media a few days ago, but episode zero, the trailer of Outer Rim Reads, officially turned one year old on December 10th. I can't believe it's already been that long. I'm truly thankful for everyone's support of the podcast since. We're looking ahead to January 7th, the official one-year anniversary of the show, when episode one aired, for some big announcements. I can't say much now, but I can give a couple of teasers. You might hear about t-shirts, stickers, and more, a big project in the works, and some new ways to become a part of the community here at Outer Rim Reads. So stay tuned for some big announcements on January 7th. Lastly, I just wanted to remind everyone about the discussion questions for each episode. Right before the credit rolls, I've been reading out a discussion question or two related to the chapters covered in that episode. I think it's a nice way to be able to engage with you all, so please do let me know your thoughts on them. I typically post them to Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook around noon Eastern time on the day the episode airs, so feel free to send your responses on those platforms. If you don't have social media, you can also let me know your answer to the question via email to outerrimreadspod at gmail.com, and I'll read out a couple of listener responses at the start of the next episode. So if you want to get involved with the show and engage with the discussion, please do comment your responses on social media or send them to me by email at outerrimreadspod at gmail.com. With all that said, let's get into episode 25 of Outer Rim Reads. Hello there, listeners, and welcome to episode 25 of Outer Rim Reads, a podcast that journeys chapter by chapter through various Star Wars novels across the canon. My name is Andrew Geha, and I'm your host along this journey. In this episode, we will be discussing chapters 9 and 10, as well as a flashback section of Master and Apprentice, and I'm joined today by the hosts of the Star Wars literary podcast, Tarkin's Top Shelf, Becca Benjamin and Mark Suter. Becca and Mark, how are you both doing today? Thank you so much for being on the show. Well, we're doing fine. We are ready to discuss Master and Apprentice. Uh, I refreshed my memory on these chapters today uh, while the kids were doing school. So pretty exciting stuff. Well, I know you're excited because it's Qui-Gon and you'll never pass up an opportunity to talk about him. But No, never. I was baking cookies. I made Anna's cutouts. And if anyone's ever stood there for hours at a time to make 100 cutouts, it's not pretty. Um, so I'm a little tired. I refreshed a little bit, but not as much as I would like. But, you know, multitasking, this is what we do. So, but I'm yes, here and I'm ready. Multitask. 
Well, I'm glad to have you both to talk about uh, Master and Apprentice and Qui-Gon especially. You know, uh, Mark had heard that you're a big fan of his. How would you give the listeners an idea of where you both come from with your Star Wars fandom and then specifically how you were introduced to Master and Apprentice as a book? I mean, I've been a Star Wars fan for almost as long as I can remember. Started with Return of the Jedi, actually, and then worked my way backwards when I was a kid. Uh, as I found them at the library. And then uh, as far as Master and Apprentice, I'm trying to remember if this was about the time we started getting early readers. Um, So it just came in the mail one day unexpectedly, so I read it so we could review it. Um, And I was super excited because it's Qui-Gon. So, yeah. Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I'm older than Mark and probably you as well. So I've been a fan since the OG. Um, So since 77, Star Wars was my first theatrical film ever that my parents brought me to, so way, way cool, and I've been a fan ever since. Heavily involved in Star Wars probably 2005-ish, like when Revenge of the Sith came out, because that was when you can get online, the official StarWars.com site, because internet was just starting to like evolve. So I had the hyperspace membership, you could blog, it was great. Um, I did fanfic, yeah. Not really proud of that, but anyway, I did fanfic. (laughs) Um, I met actually through that Steve Anderson, Lucasfilm artist. Since then, since about 2007, I've been titling and captioning all of his Star Wars limited edition art for the celebrations. I've done some of his Disney stuff, some Indiana Jones stuff. Um, That started this to snowball into writing reviews, uh, writing for fan sites like Coffee with Kenobi, the Cantina Cast, and then this evolved into... What Mark and I do, and Master and Apprentice. Oh, I well, forgot that part. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's how we went. And the Master and Apprentice. Yeah. We can't forget this, Mark. Yes. We oh, have, you got a signed copy. We have. <laughs> let's see. I'm trying to think if that's one of the books I got signed. At it Star is wow. because I, this is the one that we interviewed her live at celebration. Oh yes, you're correct. Yeah, I, it's it's and a few she pages. That is us. incredible. So that is incredible. Yes. <laughs> it was a moment for us. Well, I, yeah. can't, I can't think of two more qualified people to come on and talk about the book with some signed copies. That's very incredible. Some really interesting Star Wars stories. But how about we get stuck into these really good chapters you got in front of us and we'll just yeah, get yeah. right into it. So I don't have a summary prepared for this small flashback before chapter nine. It's very, It's a very brief section, but it gives a little bit of insight into how young Qui-Gon met Rail Avaros. And this flashback takes place around four months into Qui-Gon's apprenticeship to Dooku. And they enter straight into this flashback like pretty much in a war-torn planet called Shuripak. We don't really get much about the conflict itself, just the fact that they are there in a military capacity to solve whatever conflict is going on here. And I just wanted to briefly just ask you both, because I was kind of surprised to see them coming into this planet in military capacity, because especially given Mace Windu's infamous line, you know, we are keepers of the peace, not mm-hmm. soldiers. And what were your both thoughts on kind of Qui-Gon, Dooku, Rail on this planet kind of being just that, being soldiers in this war, whatever is going on here? Well, I'm, I think uh, the, the history of Mace Windu as a character is he's very prideful. Uh, and also, I think that he sees things just a certain way. And yeah. he doesn't really discount his opinion based on new information. <laughs> uh, so just based on him as a character, I, I think it fits. And, you know, even if they are basically doing that, they're probably still seeing it as a peacekeeping mission because yeah. they're trying to stop this conflict. Yeah, I enjoyed that because we get to see a very young and very fresh Qui-Gon. 
and the fact that he's nervous and the fact that he's like so fresh what it's like I think four months into his apprenticeship as a Padawan at that point if I'm not mistaken yeah so and he's meeting a former Padawan of his new master and that's you know probably one of the first moments I remember being taken back going yeah that's right some of these Jedi masters have had several Padawans and have lost Padawans like to death I just remember that sticking out and being like this is odd I mean, it's kind of like meeting the former boyfriend or former girlfriend of someone. You know what I mean? So it's like that awkward, like, hey, you know. Um, so it was cool because there was such a distinct difference in between Rail and Qui-Gon. And it makes you wonder what was Dooku's thought process on that. Because they select who their yeah. apprentice is. So it was kind of, yeah, it was. I, I remember just going, hmm. They're very distinct, different individuals. Kind of like how Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon are very distinct individuals as we're just as we're figuring out through this book as it moves along. So that's a very interesting point. I never really thought about that contrast between Rail and Qui-Gon. But I like kind of the function of this flashback is to show the former bond between Qui-Gon and Rail, where Qui-Gon is looking up to Rail as, you know, this very successful, you know, master duelist, former apprentice to his current master, Dooku. And it's kind of solidifying this former relationship because in one of the earlier chapters, Qui-Gon in the present refers to Rail as his former friend. You know, they were friends. And now we're kind of getting the past of, of that friendship, of how they met, of how Qui-Gon kind of started out revering Rail and feeling comfortable around him. And then we see how he reacts in person in the in the following chapters. So, you know, a, a brief flashback, but just kind of showing the foundation of that relationship between Qui-Gon and Rail. So I'll give my summary, my brief summary for chapter nine, and then we can dive right into kind of like the meat of this episode. In the throne room, Princess Fanery watches a nearby hollow screen in horror as the soul craft above Pijal is threatened by the plasma explosion. As she and her court look on, they see Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan shuttle approach the scene to intervene. In spacesuits equipped with energy shields and field lasers, the Jedi start to work away at the plasma, damaging the hull. Their energy shields create a reaction with the plasma that renders it harmless, and they are able to cut the plasma away with their field lasers. A second plasma explosion appears on the far side of the ship, but Qui-Gon notices a mysterious shuttle intervene before flying away. The damaged Soulcraft is taken aboard by the Zerka ship, Leverage, where Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan are taken to an observation deck. There, amidst luxurious furniture, food, and servants, they find the Lord Regent of Pijal, Rail Avaros. This is kind of what we've been waiting for in this story, you know, Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan arriving to Pijal, arriving to the main scene of this book. Do you have any brief thoughts about kind of what goes on in this chapter before we kind of talk more about the, the details of it? You know, just as a uh, cool thing, I, I like that they introduced us to a new technology that the Jedi have, these space mm. suits, uh, and also the intriguing arrival of this mysterious ship. Very interesting stuff that obviously will come into play in later yeah. chapters. <laughs> yeah, I like the fact that this entire sequence, in a sense, kind of parallels to what we actually get in The Phantom Menace. I mean, again, they're yeah. going to visit a soon-be queen, you know, a princess who's in trouble on her planet. So again, it's 
eventually going to be something that's nothing new to either of them. So <laughs> I think that's pretty cool that, you know, similar things are happening, you know, everywhere because there's how many other planets that are in the same differences yeah. and same perils. What I do like is that I believe it's in this chapter that they do question if they're slaves or if they're free. And because of the way they're garbed. And that yeah. did crack me up because, yeah, they dress very humbly, more so Qui-Gon. But you also get to see in this chapter, you know, how they take in rail, especially Obi-Wan's thoughts yeah. on it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was definitely interesting because Obi-Wan's new to all this, you know. So yeah. definitely cool to get that type of dynamic of that relationship because it is still kind of new. I like how you're kind of connecting the beginning of Phantom Menace to what's going on here. You know, how they're very much, you know, arriving in a similar kind of situation. Mm -hmm. you know, you know, arriving the shuttle to a big conflict here, or at least something going wrong. Right. And more on the parallels between, you know, kind of the prequel era and and what's going on here, let's talk a little bit about Princess Fanry. We know that she's very young, but we see here her reaction to what's going on. Yes, she's looking on in horror, but I like this quote here from the text. Quote, she could not bear to watch the horror playing out on the screen in front of her, but she couldn't look away either. She didn't deserve to look away while her people suffered, while they died. I have to say, I have a lot of respect for Fanry here. You know, we see how much she cares for her people. That's a sign of a good ruler, an empathetic ruler, especially at a young age. I saw some kind of, I was reminded a bit of Padme and how, you know, she viewed her people with the, kind of like the same compassion. It's a brief scene with Fanry, but we see kind of the, the testament to her character here while she's refusing to look away because she knows this is her people in trouble and she's responsible for caring for them and about them. At this part of the book, uh, getting to see her firsthand, I was actually not surprised because we, like, as you said, we've seen this before. We've seen this with Padme. We've seen this with um, Leia. You know, young women ruling an entire you know planet and it comes with their territory and i think having yeah. rail there i think she was in a sense i don't want to say bred for it but because he's there he's a strong influence with her there to be able to put herself aside and think of the people first and that yeah. is to me an attribute to a good ruler you have to be selfless you don't come first it's the people that need to come first and this is what we're establishing with this character is that at this point where we are, they matter. She, you know, yeah. it's not about where, where she is at this point. She wants to do something. She wants to act and she wants to act now. So we're already learning that right away. And yes, she is young, but as we learn in Star Wars, um, <laughs> these kids, I mean, they grow up way too fast, um, way before we even do in our real world. I mean, yeah. who would think at 14, we would be, like managing like a company like that's kind of like how that is but on a smaller scale there's no way so it's pretty impressive took the words right out of my mouth <laughs> <laughs> it was very well said it was very well put i'm very yeah. impressed with her and exactly how there's kind of like this theme in star wars of you know young kids like padme like luke even in the new hope he's only like a teenager being thrown into these conflicts and, and handling themselves pretty well. So I was very impressed with Fanery. And, you know, we see the scene unfold, you know, now we're in Qui-Gon's point of view as he and Obi-Wan are cutting away at the plasma. They handle the situation very well. And then they also notice this shuttle come in and kind of diffuse another plasma explosion on the other side of the soul craft. So kind of, as Mark was saying, some intrigue as to, you know, that shuttle, who might be in it, 
what that'll mean later on, but they are able to really diffuse a very tense situation right off the bat of, you know, entering the Pijal system, and it ends pretty well. But we find out, kind of like in the next scene of this chapter, that it is Pax and Rahara aboard the Merricks who intervened. It was their shuttle. Uh, Rahara was piloting it and chose to save the soul craft because Qui-Gon probably wouldn't have been able to get to the other side in time before the plasma breaches the hull of the soul craft. And we see some tension between Pax and Rahara. We know that Pax, you know, he, he kind of lacks emotional depth, you know, being raised by protocol droids. And he's very analytical. He's very frustrated with Rahara at risking their mission, at risking them getting exposed and, and caught. But Rahara's reasoning here, I want to talk about that because she noticed that the Soulcraft's manifest was not locked. And she saw that aboard were, quote, 15 passengers 37 items of sentient property. So to us, we clearly realize these are Zerka Zerka slaves. And I love this quote from Rahara that we can unpack. She says, quote, Let's get this straight. If I see people like that, in that kind of trouble, and there's something I can do to help them, I'm going to do it. If you can't accept that, then find yourself another pilot. To which I say, bravo, Rahara. Just as we saw the quality of, of Fandry's character early on, we see the quality of Rahara here, where she's willing to risk their operation to save lives in need. And it's what Qui-Gon would do. It's what he did. Mm-hmm. And it's what she did there without any kind of hesitation. Yeah, and I think uh, now that Episode Nine is out, we have a good tie to the end of Episode Nine, where it's not the heroes that mm. save the galaxy in the end. It's just everyday people. Mm-hmm. So here we have some people in the shadows that are just... Their mission is something entirely different. They're trying to accomplish a completely different goal. But it's like, look, there are 37 people who aren't even called people here. Yeah. And I feel it's my responsibility as a person to help them. You know, even if they are property of the other 12 or 15 people that are on there. Like, we have to do something. I like that connection. I hadn't thought about that myself. That was a very brilliant point where it's, it's the ordinary people who sometimes can do the greatest work. You know, you don't have to be a Jedi or a general exactly. or a politician. I love that point. That was really well put. Again, I think Claudia does a great job with uh, the foreshadowing moments because this whole moment brought me right back to The Phantom Menace where you see Qui-Gon saying, well, I didn't really come here to free slaves. And yet he's in this predicament years before where he is going to, in a sense, you know, help out with that kind of a situation. So she does a very good job with that. I mean, I can't help but when reading that, you think back to even the conversation between Anakin and Padme. He's like, you know, when she says, so you're a slave? He goes, my name's Anakin and I'm a person, you know? (laughs) So well said to Mark with, again, it's everyday people that make the difference because at the end, there are more of us, right? You know, your everyday folk versus the politician versus the hero. You know, it all works out in that way. And I I actually have to give it to that pilot because, again, that foreshadows to me a little bit of Rogue One with uh, Bodhi. You know, if it wasn't for Galen giving him that pep talk about he can make a difference. Um, And he's a pilot. He's a cargo pilot. And he made a difference. So right there. Just to echo Mark. It's yeah. a great connection, too. <laughs> That's it's, it's all connected. Star Wars mm-hmm. is all connected in those ways. That is really well put. And that kind of transitions into kind of the, the big reveal of this chapter. And you know, we, we just touched on it where these 37 people are slaves. 
And I love this kind, I, I love this quote we get from Qui-Gon. I love this moment we get from Qui-Gon where they're aboard the leverage. You know, they had been, the, the Soulcraft had been taken aboard by the Zerka ship. And Qui-Gon, you know, Obi-Wan, he, he's not surprised that they are slaves. He just didn't think that there would be so many by this massive corporation. And Qui-Gon had touched on, on that in a previous chapter where Obi-Wan and the rest of the Jedi younglings are rather sheltered in their upbringing, being raised on Coruscant, the wealthiest planet, the busiest planet, where they don't necessarily have to be exposed to these issues that are going on in a very real sense across the galaxy. And Qui-Gon tells this Zerka official kind of a, a little lie when they're being taken onto the craft and they're sorting through the, the free people and the slaves. And he says to, he told the official to give the slaves some medical attention because they might have been exposed to plasma damage. Their lungs might be damaged from the plasma. When the official leaves, Obi-Wan asks, wait, plasma didn't breach the hull. There's no way they could have been exposed to any lung damage. And I'm just going to read this this small quote from Qui-Gon that I really loved and I think spoke well to his character, where it says, quote, There's no damage they could have suffered. Qui-Gon gave him a sly look. But a medical checkup ensures the enslaved get some time to pull themselves together afterward before being put back to work. It's a small moment, but we see the compassion of Qui-Gon show so so well in this moment what did you both think about that just the small things but it does a lot for these slaves yeah i think it really does show what qui-gon is thinking of all the time it's why he's willing to eventually accept jar jar's help and um, Mm. eventually take on anakin even though it's kind of touch and go with how that whole situation arises and you know he knows that he can't end slavery um but he can do what he can to help as much as he can to help. Yep. And I think that's important to show who Qui-Gon is, even though he knows he can't undo the politics of another, you know, government, basically. Yeah. He's going to do what he can to help as much as he can. For me, it foreshadows what he'll eventually do on Tatooine with Anakin when he takes the M-Count the midichlorians and he runs it through the Obi-Wan because <laughs> I don't think he's just searching for that. I think he was searching for, you know, illnesses and whatever could be running through his bloodstream. You know, again, he's taking a moment to take care of someone who doesn't get typical health care. And this just shows how empathetic Qui-Gon is. And I think he's trying to teach it to his Padawan, but I think Obi-Wan misses that because even throughout the Phantom Menace, he's like, oh, we picked up another pathetic life form. Exactly. You know, I think Obi-Wan misses these lessons. I think everything that Qui-Gon does, even down to this, which I shouldn't say is a small moment because it's showing humanity, you know, um, all across the board. I think Obi-Wan misses that. And I think, like I said, he's constantly teaching where I always say just shakes my head where Anakin really could have benefited <laughs> so yeah. much from oh, Qui-Gon. Sure. <laughs> Nothing against Obi-Wan, I'm just saying. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Obi-Wan didn't do necessarily a, a bad job, but and, and we see him slowly catch on to these teaching sure. as 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 he goes on in his, you know, tenure with the order. That's that is a very good point where it's, you know, Qui-Gon, we see the contrast between how he and Obi-Wan might view these even these these smaller moments, mm-hmm. uh, these smaller interactions. So, that kind of wraps up Chapter 9, when they do get to the observation deck, they see Rail kind of like in this very luxurious uh, situation, which we'll discuss uh, in this next chapter 10. I'll give my summary and then we can dive right into that one. On the observation deck, Qui-Gon introduces Rail to Obi-Wan. 
Despite his earlier premonitions about Rail, Qui-Gon feels disarmed by the Lord Regent's good nature and even feels somewhat pleased to see him again. The three change the topic to former Jedi Dooku and his mysterious departure from the Order. To Qui-Gon's surprise, Rail reveals that Dooku had never responded to his communications, leaving Qui-Gon's biggest lead to finding the truth at a dead end. After Obi-Wan leaves to talk with the pilots, Rail notices that Qui-Gon is acting slightly distant toward him. However, he has remained so sure of his bond with Qui-Gon after all these years that he can't imagine the Jedi Master would be upset with him, even over the tragedy of Nim Piana. After even talking about prophecies, a topic of such interest to Qui-Gon, Rail still can't help but notice something is off with his friend. There are kind of two takeaways from this chapter. It's a very short one. It's basically just their conversation on this observation deck, where we see how Qui-Gon treated the situation with being exposed to these slaves uh, in the cargo bay, and we see Rail's contrasting approach to how he deals with slavery, which is not a good look for him. You know, he... He did call one of the slaves by name on the bay, which, you know, gives them some semblance of their identity for sure, but then he kind of waves her away to get the Jedi some more proper clothing for reaching Pajal, and we see kind of like this struggle with them kind of coming to terms with how Rail might be falling prey to the luxuries of his current post, and you both think that Rail might be falling into the temptation of, of power. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> A little bit. I also find it funny how, you know, being surrounded by all the luxury, he still dresses in almost in rag attire. Rags, um, yeah. <laughs> talk about being a real rogue, which is, again, where you see a little bit of that further down the road, you know, kind of rub off onto Qui-Gon, you know. Even with a little bit of that personality, I think he fell into almost a power trip with his position now. It's not exactly what he was taught and you know the way he was brought up but again he always yeah. did go against the grain so in a way i wouldn't say it's out of character for him um he just wasn't one to be molded like obi-wan so like so to speak he wasn't one yeah. to follow the rules and be that i gotta you know go by the book he was never that type of jedi i mean he even poked fun at dooku here and there and yeah. dooku just <laughs> kept his you know, keeps his stoic, stern look and doesn't really pay it any mind. So again, he's very different from what we're used to seeing. I like him. I mean, because he is different, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, definitely think he's been, um, as you said, he's like sort of like on this power trip. He's more laxed in a way and like some things, but then on the, on the opposite end, he's more strict in other things. But the contrast is off. Where he should be strict, he isn't. And where he's laxed, he, he shouldn't be. So it yeah. kind of flip-flopped for him at this point. Yeah, yeah and, and I think that uh, it should be concerning to us as a reader at this point. Now, granted, I know the end of the story, but still, when I was <laughs> reading this for the first time, it struck me that for somebody who is trying to negotiate for the best interest of the princess and soon-to-be ruler, that he shouldn't be so comfortable aboard this corporation's yeah. ship, that he shouldn't be so comfortable with the slavery aboard this corporation ship mm -hmm. you know yeah so yeah that that struck me as odd he, he's a very likable character but there's a lot of likable people out there that aren't doing the right thing correct for sure and, uh, and he does kind of give his reason because Qui-Gon asks you know you seem kind of comfortable 
in this situation when Rail was saying, oh, ruling is so hard. And Qui-Gon's like, is it though? You know, you got slaves around you, you know, serving your every wish here. And Rail, he answers, quote, listen, there's a time for straightforward negotiations and there's a time to play the game. I'm playing the game with Zerka because they can help Fannery. They can help the whole planet if I handle it right. And part of me wants to believe Rail here, but also like you had both put, we can't help but think and wonder if that's partly true, but then also most of it is just him kind of being used to the fact that there's no one except Fannery who's ruling over him. You know, it's kind of, he can play the game how he wants and how he's comfortable with kind of doing his own thing. And so it's just, it's not a good look for Rail. I want to believe him. You know, he does seem like a very friendly, amicable guy, but we do have to have our, our doubts here. And kind of just the bigger theme in this chapter that I want to close on is this tension between how Qui-Gon inwardly views Rail compared to how Rail views his relationship with Qui-Gon. How Rail is very sure that he and Qui-Gon are, they're just, it's just like the old days. Nothing's wrong between them. They're still pals like in the past, as we saw. But, you know, we know how Qui-Gon's viewing the, the situation where he has his doubts about Rail, especially after he had killed his Padawan. And I just want to know your thoughts on kind of like how how Claudia is is writing this where, you know, we know Qui-Gon's views, we know his thoughts. And it's kind of sad to see, you know, because we get a couple of scenes here in Rail's point of view where he is so sure that this is just like the old times. But we know to ourselves he's only going to be let down. Yeah, well, it's like the guy that you know from high school that, you know, he was number one athlete and uh, he was good at all the sports. But then he didn't do so well in college. He dropped out. Uh, He didn't get a sports scholarship because he just wasn't the best. So, like, you know, you run into him years later and he's still talking about the glory days, you know, like the Bruce Springsteen song. Like, oh, man, the good old days. It's very much that kind of relationship where it's like we view the same events differently from everybody around us. Uh, And and it's projection, you know, like we just assume everybody kind of thinks the same way that we do. And so it's actually a surprise if they don't. Yeah. Which, in most cases, they don't. But it's really easy to fall into that trap. Uh, and I think Qui-Gon is more sure of himself, which even going through this uncertain time with whether or not he's going to join the council yeah, and his doubts over that, I think he's more certain of himself and his relationships with others uh, than Rail is. Rail just, he, he knows, like, he knows, in quotation marks, yeah. the best thing. He knows that Qui-Gon is still his friend. Yeah. It's an interesting thing because I really think going into this chapter, it was written so we would actually see the growth within Qui-Gon, not so much Rail, but to see those interworkings of Qui-Gon Jinn uh, from where he is at this point to where we're going to actually see him in The Phantom Menace. And Claudia will tell you that Qui-Gon is practically her favorite Star Wars character. So I'm not surprised that she did this with him because you're already seeing these inner workings where the attachment is there and he doesn't think it's a bad thing that the Jedi keep saying, you know, attachments are forbidden. But losing his Padawan, it did something to him. And not just losing him, but the way he lost him. And I think he will guard his Padawan now with his life if he has to. And we do see that happen. Um, And again, it goes to show you that all attachments are not a weakness. It's a strength. That's where they differ. Rail doesn't view beings in like general as an important quality to the world around. It's just, what do I need to do to do for myself? He's at that stage. It's all about Mm. 
as long as it benefits him, kind of like, I hate to say it, Mark, please don't get mad at me, kind of like Thrawn. <laughs> um, he's loyal to himself. Yeah. If that makes sense. And even when it comes well, to family. Well, I, I think he... Th- he thinks that he's being loyal. Right. He's pretending, yeah. in a sense, to be loyal to Fanny because she's a child. He's underestimating her, that she won't see it, but he knows more because he's more worldly and he's been around longer, and he can play that. Like you were saying earlier, Andrew, it's about playing what side is going to work for him, and that's what he's doing here. He's kind of like playing a game of sabak, but with people's lives. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Yeah, which that, that is very well put, and it's a very unfortunate truth, and... You know, I, I love that point, how Rail is, you know, even you know, he's seeing kind of like the fact that Zerka uses slaves and playing the game with them as kind of the means to his end. Mm-hmm. Where Qui-Gon, as we've seen in this chapter, as we've seen in the chapters before, he sees each person as unique, as having value. You know, he stopped himself when he was referring to Nimpiana as Rail's Padawan. He was like, no, she had a name. She was a person. Mm-hmm. And I just, we're, we're seeing that very stark contrast where Qui-Gon's, you know, he, he doesn't see everyone kind of like as the means to whatever end he's trying to achieve. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see how that tension is reconciled, if at all, as the book moves on. And the chapter ends with Rail kind of wondering what is wrong with Qui-Gon here. He senses there's something not there. You know, we can only expect that when the situation does boil over, as it did with Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan, because uh, it is a very similar ending where Rail's like, if, if it was something about me, he would definitely tell me. He would tell me. So it, it can't be about me. But we know as a reader, <laughs> Rail, it's it's about you, uh, <laughs> which is unfortunate. Good kind of scene setting and tension building by Claudia. But that is how the chapter ends. Do you both have any kind of closing thoughts on chapter nine and ten before we wrap it up today? Well, I, I would say that uh, the history that we get though brief between Qui-Gon and Dooku here. Mm. Uh, and we do, we did get a little bit more in Jedi lost, uh, but just, I would be happy with a whole book of Qui-Gon just reading these prophecies, oh you know, like, <laughs> and I know that that might be boring to some people, but uh, some of my favorite moments in, in the literature uh, so far are like in um, the, the rogue one book catalyst mm. where some of the best parts of the book are like the inner office memos of, <laughs> you know, notes on designing and building the Death Star. You know, it, it's like it adds a certain value to the whole universe, even though it's yeah. kind of a silly thing. And, you know, if done right, it can be funny. But, yeah, I, I want to know more about the prophecies, like, because obviously we know the prophecy of the Chosen One and we know a prophecy that kind of ends up tying into what happens in this book. Yeah. Um, but, like, I want to know more of them. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm left with. <laughs> Uh, after this chapter yeah again brief but i love the interacting uh or interactions in between dooku qui-gon obi-wan rail i think stuff like this is needed where we get to go back and we learn the backstories of these characters i think it's so important to their growth even just these two chapters while brief you see so much more of Qui-Gon. And we already know he's awesome, right but you get (laughs) to see right exactly but you get to see how selfless he is he he relies on the force here's my thing he doesn't rely on the jedi teachings he loves the prophecies he's all about the prophecies but he's all about which way the light leads him yeah and that's what he focuses on not so much the teachings which you get to see more of that going forward but it's not about what's in the book it's not about what they can teach you it's about feeling the force and just being in that moment and letting it guide you. And I think we need mm. more stories like that. 
to really understand the inner workings of these characters. And I want more Qui-Gon. I think there's still more stories to be told. For sure. I, I am hoping for more content eventually. Um, but that is that is really well put. And just letting the Force kind of dictate his own actions. Where multiple times in the book so far, we've heard about, you know, even in this chapter too, there's a moment where Qui-Gon, when he was kind of starting to cut away the plasma, he opened himself up to the Force and let it own yes. him and his actions. And there's so much that can be learned from from him and that approach and letting it guide him, even in the small moments where he's trying to get the slaves even just a few moments of, of reprieve, where maybe not every Jedi would have thought to do that, but Qui-Gon and his compassion, which Obi-Wan notes, is very unique to him mm -hmm. from what he's learned so far. We see the value in that. And I love Qui-Gon, and this is, even moments like that throughout these chapters are just so, so valuable, so rich. Becca and Mark, thank you both for talking about these chapters. This was a you know really fun time talking about Qui Gon, and and as this as the story progresses, I was wondering if the listeners wanted to find you and your work on the internet, could you tell them where they could do so? Uh, yeah, I'm at Mark E. Suter on Twitter. Uh, you can also hear me on the Idiots Array podcast, uh, where we just shoot the breeze about whatever. Uh, <laughs> with Mandalorian, we've been going weekly. Normally, we're bi-weekly, but we've been going weekly just discussing each episode as it comes out. Uh, so if you're interested in that, uh, those are about half an hour long. And also, Tarkin's Top Shelf is where Becca and I talk about books. Yes, good talks, too. Uh, we usually do sit down with authors, if we can, or we actually go over the novels or visual guides or even the big encyclopedia books. Anything that's book-related, we are dabbling in. Um, so Tark and Stop Shelf can be found, you know, basically wherever you do your social media. So Twitter at Tark and Stop Shelf, um, Instagram at Tark and Stop Shelf, and, of course, Facebook at Tark and Stop Shelf. And also Idiot's Array with Mark and Ryder and Alan is also part of our podcast network which is pitiful little band yes i know um that <laughs> can awesome. be found on youtube twitter and facebook at pitiful little band you can also hear Kanata's castle on there every other week or so which is myself and red five mom and we again very similar to idiots array talk about anything star wars but we use a mom's lens as we talk about it so because we are star wars moms so there was a whole thing about kylo ren's pants yes there's <laughs> so. very just, real issues <laughs> I just don't get it. They're too high. Like, what is that? I'm sorry. I can't help but laugh. They're just funny. I'm sorry. That <laughs> scene in the last Jedi maybe. issue. I get it. I get it. Um, but if you want to say hi to me, best places on Twitter at you are Angel B, and there you'll see my plethora of contributions. I'm all over the place. Fanta tracks, and of course our own little network and all that good stuff that we do. And yeah, that's where we are. A wide variety of work, listeners. I will post. Uh, links to all of their work and their social medias in the episode description. Judging by the sound of it, you will not be disappointed whatsoever if you go check them out. So please make sure to do so. Becca and Mark, thank you again so much. And before we close up today, I will give our discussion question for these chapters. Aboard the Leverage, we see Rail complicit in and even taking advantage of the fact that the Zerka Corporation uses slaves. Though he gives his reasons, Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan remain skeptical. Do you agree with Rail's excuse? Do you think Rail has grown numb to the human rights violations around him because of the luxury and power of his post? Is this a byproduct of Qui-Gon's fears that often the Jedi may be raised with a blind eye toward these kinds of struggles in the galaxy? 
And listeners, I will post the question to Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Please send us a response on any of those platforms or by email to outerrimreadspod at gmail.com. And thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to follow Outer Rim Reads on social media to stay up to date on the show and our discussion questions, feel free to give us a follow on Twitter at Outer Rim Read Pod and on Facebook and Instagram at Outer Rim Reads Pod. Outer Rim Reads is created by Andrew Gayhaud, is hosted by Andrew Gayhaud, is produced by Andrew Gayhaud, is edited by Andrew Gayhaud, and we will be back in two weeks with episode 26. So until then, sit back and enjoy. A lot of the clientele here have some pretty interesting stories. Have a drink with Rail over there. I hear he knows a thing or two about bachelorette parties on Kashyyyk. <laughs>